residential director to inventor, lighting specialist to art residential to Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. In this episode, I'm joined by Joe Piccarelli, Managing Director of Rosewater Energy Group in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Joe is an accomplished consultant, strategist, and speaker with four decades of experience that spans across the consumer electronics, systems integration, and energy industries. In his current capacity at Rosewater Energy Group, he oversees the manufacturing, sales, and distribution of new technology for residential power storage and handling efforts. But he's also one of the founders of AV retailer Sound Advice and Avid, the well-known AV distribution company. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Jeremy. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Well, Joe, we've chatted at trade shows and buying group meetings over the years, but um, I have to confess, I really did not realize all of your history prior to Rosewater. Um, there's a lot of big personalities in the consumer electronics business, some earned and some not. Um, but I would say if anyone has earned a certain degree of industry stature in his resume, it's you. And yet you have a pretty modest um, profile in the industry and personality um, for having played such a pivotal role in two major companies in the, in the business. I know Rosewater and power protection is your focus these days, but I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about the early days founding Sound Advice and Advid just to get started so we can learn more about your background. Um, to start off with, what sort of educational background and work experience led you to founding Sound Advice? Well, it was an interesting time. You have to harken back to my days in college, I was a freshman in college at the University of Michigan studying engineering in 1966. So you're talking about a, you know, the Vietnam War and music just coming into its height. And it was really the beginning of affordable stereo hobbyists. Because one of the things people don't realize about that particular era is prior to that, people who owned high fidelity systems were ex extremely wealthy. It was you know, JBL, uh, Klipsch, Mac, all of these very expensive uh, pieces of equipment that older rich guys owned, basically. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of our young people went over to Southeast Asia, um, went to the PXs and discovered brands like Pioneer and Sansui and brought home these wonderful pieces of transistorized electronics that were incredibly affordable. And it was those brands that formed the two biggest stereo companies of their era, Pacific Stereo and Tech Hi Fi. Mm. One on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Well, I, was, I, I got my undergraduate degree and I was enrolled in grad school and, and I always wanted to be in my own business. And, you know, being an Italian kid, I was studying, I was getting a master's degree in civil engineering, figuring I'd be a contractor. So, um, but I got this offer by Tech Hi-Fi in Boston to be in their first managing, management training program ever. So I dropped out of graduate school, moved to Boston and went to work for Tech. And they, in six months, sent me back to Ann Arbor, Michigan to open the first of seven stores in the Michigan area with you know six months of experience behind me. How bad could I be? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I opened those stores. They became the, the Ann Arbor store became the biggest store in the chain. It passed Harvard Square in its second month. Oh wow. So it was really a hugely successful thing. Yeah. And at that point, um, 
I was working with a couple of my closest friends from college, and we decided that we could open our own stereo company, started researching the nation in terms of, geez, where should we open it? And our first criteria was no more winter because we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So that, as so, beautiful as Ann Arbor is, the weather in the winter, not so great. So we ended up in South Florida and we opened Sound Advice in 1974. Okay. Uh, it was great fun because you could really, you know, the, the industry was divided between these sort of old line stuffy dealers and these heavily discounted dealers. And we came in with the, we can really teach you what value is. And Sound Advice was all about getting value for the money. Okay. Great business learning experience for us. And, you know, fortunately, Sound Advice became a, a national prominent chain. And in 1986, we took it public, which was also a very interesting thing to do because Oppenheimer was our underwriter and you get to do all the road shows and travel around the country learning a lot about investment banking. Mm. And then in 1989, I retired for the first time. Okay. Um, and how old were you in 1989? I was 40 years old. Just I was going to turn 41 at the end of 89. And, okay. uh, you know, retirement lasted for me all of six months. Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden, I got a call from a couple of my friends in the manufacturing industry who wanted me to consult with them. Because uh, I had a unique skill with my engineering background and my sales ability, I could translate technicals, highly technical information into information that became digestible to normal humans. Ah. So I was hired and I had a, a, just a huge number of accounts uh, working by myself and enjoying it. But in 1995 or 96, I started to notice the difference in the industry. You know, the, the industry specialists, the sound devices of the world were disappearing. And they were, the industry was being dominated by Best Buy and Circuit City while they were still around big boxers. And then these small group of dealers centered around home theater mm -hmm. who were doing custom work. So it struck me that it was the small guys who were going to be the growth. And if you looked at those small retailers, none of them could be factory direct mm -hmm. because they were too small. Most of them had no financial acumen. You know, they didn't know the difference between cash flow and profit. Mm -hmm. So I said, what a great play for distribution. Because, you know, as a distributor, you could, take, you could take the credit risks away from the vendor. You didn't have the same transactional volume requirements that manufacturers had. So that's when I got together with a group of 11 other gentlemen and we started Avid. And these guys were all rep distributors, all smart guys. Mm -hmm. And we all had a vision and then... You know, Avid became a story in and of itself. It, you know, it was the first of its kind. And in 2005, it got large enough where Ingram Micro bought us. And it, it was interesting for me at that point, because one of the things that struck me during the course of really learning consumer electronics or custom electronics was the level of dissatisfaction by end users. You know, you would constantly hear people talking about, oh, I had this automated system. It never works. Right. I have these remote controls. They never work. You know, <laughs> people are spending a lot of money to not be very happy. So I'm going, why is that? It's not like Crestron and Control 4 build bad gear. It's not like the custom installers install bad stuff or don't know what they're doing. What's right. the deal? And, you know, I slowly began sort of this qualitative interview process. And it turned out that the problem was power. Ah, okay. 
you know, all of a sudden, you know, when you're filling a house with microprocessors and microprocessors notoriously do not like inconsistent power. They really like consistent, you give me 120 volts, give me 60 cycles, I can lock on process data and I'm really happy. But if you make me miss a data packet or you give me a little interruption, I have to reboot, things get a little wonky. Mm -hmm. so I'm going, wow, you know, we, we've been installing all this great stuff, but nobody has really addressed power. Mm -hmm. We've addressed it at the device level, but not really addressed it like they would at a data center or they would at a mission critical facility for the military or telco or broadband. And the other big deal was, you know, people were talking about renewable energy, you know, oh, I'm going to do this with solar or wind. And of course, as you research that, you figure out the more of that you put on the grid, the less stable the grid is. So now power quality is getting worse. And then we have a legislature and we won't get into politics at this point, but anybody who's been waiting for an infrastructure bill and holding their breath is no longer alive. Right. So, you know, it's just good luck. So we have aging infrastructure, we have renewable integration, and no one can build a new power plant because it's 25 years of permitting. So power quality is getting worse and worse, and I'm going, okay, how do we fix it? Is there a device? And my partner, Mario, and I were talking, and I said, you know, Mario, I am going to design, and together we're going to figure out how to build the very best residential energy solution available. And I had no concept of price point. Actually, I thought it would be a fairly trivial problem. I couldn't, I couldn't have been more incorrect. But I, I started working and saying, okay, if an inverter, the ability to take battery power and turn it to AC is going to be the basis of this, who builds the best inverters in the world? So I started to research that and I found a company in Belgium who builds them. And then I needed to find out, okay, who manufactures the best high-grade uh, commercial equipment in the world working with uh, DC to AC power? And I found that company. And uh, you know, so I began to research all of these things. And I, the company I chose is based in Bellingham, Washington. They're called Alpha. And I went out to them and said, okay, I have this idea. They just thought, you are out of your mind. No one in the residential world is going to buy something that looks like that. <laughs> I said, I, you know what? People have said I'm out, of my, I'm out of my mind all the time. And it's worked well for me, so I'm going to keep going with that one. And don't worry. So, so we began so to build this product. Industrial design comes into play a little bit then, right? Yes. So the result has been um, the, what is now the Rosewater Energy SB20. It's interesting because, you know, from all of that background and, and looking at the problems and, and looking at what solutions had been available to sit down and clearly I'm not objective to yeah. just have this goal that says, you know what, I'm going to build the best thing you could possibly build. Um, I would have to say it has been extremely frustrating at times, but it has been extremely rewarding because it, it is one of those things where now people who own my device sit down and go, I can't live without this. We have people who have multiple homes who when they put it in the first one, just go, no, I'm putting this in every home. It's really been cool. Well, um, I want to talk more about it for sure. And we will, I, I, I wanted just to backtrack a little bit because I had some more questions just based on your prior experience leading into going into to the energy business and power business. So, 
it, it does tie in though. Would, would you say there are lessons that you learned from the sound advice retail days and even the avid days that have helped you run Rosewater? Yes. What I would mean, those be? The biggest, the biggest lesson, I mean, what I learned early in sound advice, and I, I learned this because I, I, I've always been a student and during the course of my running sound advice, one of the things that was really important was simple things like planning, you know, pro forma cash flows, pro forma balance sheets, pro forma P&Ls, so that understanding guideposts and understanding that no matter what your plan is, there are aspects of it that are totally incorrect. And then there are aspects of it that are totally correct. And the idea of being able to look at it and design a plan that is flexible enough so that when you hit that, oh crap, I was wrong, you, you could move from there and not get angry about it. You had planning. So that kind of forward thinking was really important. And also both a blessing and a curse, but mostly a blessing. When you have an idea and you are convinced that it is correct, being able to have the intestinal fortitude to stay on path. Okay. I and think that's a, that's a tough one and that's a good one. Well, and, and in a category like you're in, I'm sure that you've had to, and, and a price point as well, um, trying to do it the right way. You've had to probably face some objections there from dealers who just say, I can't sell something this expensive or, you know, I, I don't understand it because it's not my specialty because I'm an AV guy. Um, I'm sure that some of that's come along, right? As far as facing uh, <laughs> those all the time, <laughs> it still happens. Uh, yes, it still happens today. But it's interesting because you know your question uh, about how my past has influenced this, and this just comes to mind because in the retail days, and, and you know, you have this sound advice was a value house. We are not a price house. We were not there to sell you the lowest priced item. So people came in the door, and you know, oh no, I can buy cheaper down the street, or you guys are too expensive and the same thing and, and learning how to deal with that and understanding your position in the marketplace saying yes we cost more but we're worth it and being able to, to justify it and stick to your guns that lesson that i learned at sound advice translates perfectly to what i'm doing today because as i'm sure you can imagine when you know our our hardware cost to the end user seventy thousand dollars it's not not exactly inexpensive. And, and when the marketplace is used to, oh, an expensive UPS is, you know, 1500 bucks. Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. And, and, you know, so you sit down and you go, no, you have to understand if you're gonna do it right. And it is the ability to stand tall and be firm in the, we are this price because it is worth it. Mm -hmm. Can't do it this well for less. Right. And that um, valuable lesson. Absolutely. Before we continue our conversation with Joe Piccarelli, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Residential Tech Talks. Today's show is brought to you by Reboot, Smart Home Networks, specializing in creating commercial-grade networks that address the demand of advanced control and automation technologies for residential, commercial, and luxury marine environments. Y-Reboot systems are comprised of the best gear in the industry. Each component has been hand-selected for reliability, performance, and cost-effectiveness. find out more, go to yreboot.com.
Welcome back. I'm talking to Joe Pecorelli, Managing Director of Rosewater Energy Group. I'm Residential Tech Today Executive Editor, Jeremy Glowacki. So after you founded Rosewater Energy Group, um, what were some of those early adjustments that you had to make from your original plans? Um, did, did you face, I know you said, you know, as far as pushback from people aren't going to want to buy this because it looks a certain way and that sort of thing. Did you have to make any compromises early on or adjustments to your plan? We certainly had to make some adjustments. Our, our original product was two very large cabinets because in the beginning we were convinced that the ability to integrate a renewable and have sellback, grid interactivity, was right. going to be important. And that, our original price point was $100,000. So, so, and what we found out is in the first two years, one person sold back to the grid for one month hmm. and then stopped because the value proposition is really outside of the huge tax break for your purchase. You're just not getting a lot of return on investment otherwise. And then people became more convinced that self-consumption would be better. And then of course, from the installation side, they're going, Joe, one of your cabinets is already being two is ridiculous. <laughs> so, can you figure out a way to make this one? Yeah. You know? So back to the engineering team going, I can't give up capacity, you know, but I can give up sell back. Can we not compromise quality and get this down to one cabinet? So that, that took, uh, that took about eight months worth of redesign, more money than I care to think about. Oh, boy. Um, but we learned that lesson the hard way. It was expensive, but worth it. We got it down to one cabinet and, and we still take renewables in for self-consumption. But that was a, a pretty good lesson. And we still, you know, as you, as you said, I've been in the industry a long time. So I have a lot of friends who are dealers. Hmm. Uh, so, and, and I am one of those people who, you know, I call them up and go, okay, tell me what's wrong. Mm -hmm. you know, if you could change this any way possible, what would it be? So I've, I have, I keep pages of notes on my desk, uh, you know, things for the future. Drives my wife crazy when she walks in the office and goes, okay, what are in these files? Right. Your scribbles? You know? so, They're for your presidential library someday, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the ability to continue to learn and listen is another really valuable lesson. And, and that was, that really struck home in the Avid days. Because imagine at Avid, we had 12 principles. Mm -hmm. And the ability to take 11 voices other than my own, none of us exactly shy when it came to believing in our opinions. Sure. <laughs> it was interesting to be able to, you know, it became my role more, more than just being the face and leader of the group. It became my role to be able to integrate all of those ideas and, and cherry pick them to create uh, Avid. And that is one of the things I am most proud of. I was able to take excellent ideas from very smart people and get agreement and create what became an industry icon as in terms mm -hmm. of organization. So that was, that was really good. And the For same sure. exists today at Rosewater. Well, so at Rosewater, what sort of training do you tend to need to do with, with dealers, um, integrators to understand what it is you're selling? Um, some are probably more sophisticated than, than others in the category of energy and power management, but uh, I know that you've had some some trainings recently, challenges with that, of course, with COVID, but 
Um, what, what are you finding in terms of the general understanding from the dealer base and how are you able to kind of guide them into being better sales advocates for the product? It's a great question because the first bit of training is getting them to overcome their fear of high voltage. Yeah. You know, everybody's afraid of it. It's just like, oh my God, it's way out of my, my comfort zone and getting people to understand that high voltage is really not that complicated and it's really not that scary. Right. So the first part of the training is getting them over that hump that says, that's not my area. I don't know how to do that. And, you know, so I spend a lot of the beginning of my training sessions just on that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can become an expert in this field. You do not have to fear it. Um, and then there's, of course, the second, well, the most I've ever charged for a UPS is $1,500. Right. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because the, the technique there is, is a lot of, our, our CI guys, our low voltage guys, if they're in uh, the design process of a new house, are really second tier vendors. Yeah. You know, the first tier is the electrician, the plumber, the framer. Those guys are, they're all, without those guys, the house doesn't work, so they come in first. And unfortunately, when you're building a house, uh, most of us who have built homes have a budget in mind, which is usually attained far earlier than the completion date of the house. So we're all, um, we're all way over budget and then it becomes last in first out. Right. So if you're the last product pitched, you're the first product to be cut when you're over budget. By teaching our dealers how to become power experts, I can elevate their status in the design process to tier one. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything. And it is amazing how few people really understand power quality. It is not just the understanding of high voltage, but understanding how to take poor power and make it good. So that's a secondary part of my training and sales process, because if you introduce power early in the sales process, in the qualification process, then it becomes the basis for everything else you sell. And it, it sounds easy, but it's not because right. it takes constant repetition you have to change you have to break old habits which are really hard and it is interesting because once you do it once you get it it becomes second nature i mean we we have guys now who just know i pitch rosewater first and, and, and in fact i have builders now who my integrators do business with who are at the point where they say surprisingly to their clients i won't build your house without a rosewater hmm. And it's fascinating because the builder is always the first point of pain when stuff doesn't work. You don't call your integrator, you call your builder. And then the builder calls the integrator and gets mad at them. And the builders who have rose waters in their homes, you know, they'll call up and go, look, I don't have pain anymore. Hmm. So I like this. Um, and it's, uh, it's a great, it's a great feeling when they do that. So what's the, what's the explanation to, um, to a homeowner building a house when they get in there and they're that that tier one or level one um, contractor and they have that conversation are you showing them results of some sort of a test to say hey look it's a new house but we can't control the grid it's going to have issues so here you go here's what we can change another great question fortunately for us our device measures power quality every second of every day so if you were to log into a rosewater device, you would see 
power quality mapped out every second and then what it looks like rolls over to the minute, the hour of the day and the month. And we log them and we are actually developing a power quality map of North America. Hmm. So that we can go to a client, a client in South Florida, I can just pull up, you know, my dealers can pull up a South Florida device and go, this is what power quality looks like. Mm -hmm. And every one of these glitches will compromise the performance of the things you dearly love and need in your life. Because, you know, when you, when you think about it, every new home has some form of lighting control. Mm -hmm. What lighting control doesn't have is a manual override. So if that microprocessor goes, you can't turn on your lights. Right. You know, the same is true of shades. And now, much to my surprise, but you know, everybody's got door locks. Well, if that door lock <laughs> is out of power and the little uh, nine volt battery that's in it is no longer working because you didn't replace it in the last year, well, now what do you do? <laughs> You've got to, you know, hopefully, fortunately, door locks have manual overrides, but. It's incredible the effects of power quality on your enjoyment. And once people realize that, um, then it becomes a no-brainer sell. And, and it is one of the few we talked about uh, earlier on, maybe we were off air when we talked about it, we talked about COVID. And it's interesting now, people are at home. And it is the middle of the day when power quality is at its worst. Right. And now people at home are starting to recognize, well, wait a minute, I'm on my computer doing a zoom meeting and I see glitches. I see, I see all of a sudden my picture shuts off for a second or things happen. And I'm going, those are all power quality. It is amazing. The difference in phone calls my dealers are getting and we're getting since COVID began it, you know, I get calls from random end users. I don't even know how they found us hmm. going, I, you know, I'm, they were, I asked them and they go, yeah, I was searching a web for power quality and you're the only people who have this at, a large level with zero transfer times. I'm going, mm -hmm. well, here's my dealer in that area, you gotta talk to them. But it it is becoming far more top of mind. Uh, and that's that's really great for us. Yeah, I mean, that that's a lot more critical than the old days of power management products talking about your experience with audio and video, you know, cause that's the language you had to speak to the, the integrator who that was their focus. It's gonna right. be a better quality picture, better quality sound. That's a little subjective, and when you start seeing it firsthand as a um, you know work at home person, or your power is not able to manage your lights after a while, that type of thing gets real. Um, <laughs> uh, are you being in the Florida market where you're based? Um, are you still are you dealing with lightning strikes and that sort of thing as well with the product? Yes, and and lightning strikes obviously, Florida is the lightning capital of the United States. Mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, we deal with lightning issues all the time. And when I started to research that, I did the same thing. I started to ask myself, well, how does Comcast or how does AT&T, how do they deal with lightning at their head ends? How does the military deal with lightning for mission critical facilities? And you begin to look at it and you see the circuitry they used and they, they use a combination of very large MOVs and gas discharge tubes. And I actually just duplicated that circuitry. Mm. And our, our device theoretically, theoretically can take 40 lightning strikes of 140,000 wow. volts. It is non-sacrificial. Okay. So it, uh, most people would say that's overbuilt, but I have a client here, uh, lives not far from me in South Florida, who was having trouble with power quality 
uh, installed my device. Three days later, the transformer outside of his house took a direct hit. Wow. And nothing happened. <laughs> and he called me up because I've known, he, he's known me since my sound advice days. He's a local audio video file guy. And he called me up and goes, Joe, this is just the greatest thing I ever bought. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, we worked really, we worked really hard at trying to make it the best in class at everything. So, so your, your product installed in a home, power goes out in that neighborhood, that house is going to not see a change in their power. Um, you won't even notice that it happened. Okay. It, it's, uh, because it's, it's zero transfer time, because it, you know, the batteries are always engaged, it is totally isolated. We ask our clients, you know, we want to be our device connected to our cloud because that way I get alerts, mm. uh, as, the, as does the engineering team, uh, on if, should there be anything wrong and what the outages are. And we had a client, very high profile, who said, no, you can't, you can't be on my VPN. It's just not going to happen. And I said, fine, but, you know, it's going to be a problem. And they're going, no, it won't. We'll notice. I'm going, okay. Uh, so they, they had a main house, and there was work being done on two other outparses in there complex and they had our device powering the main house and it wasn't connected to the web and an electrician on a friday uh, afternoon turned off the main power switch to do some work on one of the outbuildings hmm. and forgot to turn it back on and the people in the main house would never know because it is there is no change zero change there's not a click a beep a pop of any kind and then i get a call on monday morning and i happen to be traveling and I get a call from the dealer who had the client on the phone screaming, saying, your box is making weird noises. And I'm going, wait, 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 my box is making an audible noise? And they're going, yeah. And I said, well, there is only one thing that can cause that. I said, what do you mean? I said, your, your main power's off. It's the batteries telling you, we are now down to near zero and we need power now. <laughs> and how long, how long had it been off? It had been off for the weekend. So, so is there a, a how many um, hours are you claiming that you're able to keep power on? Everything is load dependent. How much are you drawing? Okay, sure. So this happened to be in the winter. So the air conditioning load and they have an extra battery pack. So they had extra runtime, but they got almost 60 hours of run. Wow. And, and they're going, not possible, not possible. I'm going, okay, can I have the property manager on the phone, please? So could you go to the main switch? He said, why? I said, because it's off. <laughs> and of course, he goes there very sheepishly. I hear it click back on. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, did it stop beeping now? But that's, that's how good it is. And, and again, yeah. I'm not objective, but... Sure, <laughs> it's, sure. It's a good one. Well, another unobjective question, I guess, uh, or subjective question would be, um, you know, there's been, you know, a little more competition in the market since you came, came into it. Um, how would you compare and contrast what you do versus what's out there? Well, you know, I, I love having competition. I really do, because it means that there are other people who are equally crazy. Um, <laughs> but I, we have a certain mission, and my mission is to build the best. I really, I don't even think about the price point. I really don't. And when we, our competitors think they have to be at a certain price point. And when you think price point first, the price point goes on before the quality goes in. 
and I work it the other way. The quality goes in and then we figure out what it should be priced at. And that, that's not something I can ever change and I won't. And I, I think that, you know, it may limit the size of my market overall, but it also gives me an unassailable position. If you want the very best, this is it. Uh, and, and that's a position I'm comfortable with. So I'm happy to see more and more people talking about power quality. I'm happy to see more and more people come with solutions. Um, the only thing that would scare me is if somebody as obsessive about quality came into the market uh, as I am, then we'd have a real fight on our hands. <laughs> but it, it is, the more people that know about it, the more my segment will grow. And, right. and a marketplace needs to, be, it needs to be an ecosystem. There has to be the highest quality, high price spread, so to speak. And then there has to be lower priced products because not everybody can afford the, the highest quality, nor do they need it. Right. You know, from, from my point of view, it is the position, Rosewater's position is the position I am most comfortable with and best suits me. So I'm right. Someone, someone, I guess, could have a backup generator that they could go pull the cord on, gas power, whatever. Um, not exactly the most sophisticated setup and, uh, you know, maybe some battery backup and that type of thing. But what you're trying to do is just make it just a seamless experience for a certain very discerning clientele, right? Exactly. Where, where it is, when, when you want the ultimate in performance of all of the products you own, we're the only way you can do it. Mm -hmm. A backup generator works fine for if you don't have huge control systems and stuff because generator power quality is terrible and needs, it has to be because big motors are turning on and off all the time and they create sags and spikes from your generator. Right. But for a large percentage of the populace, that's great. And it's a relatively inexpensive way of doing it. And I think it's terrific. Um, I, I, in my own house, aside from a rosewater, I have a generator for my refrigerators and big motors that would drain my batteries immediately. Oh, okay. So, Makes so there is no, no reason not to have a generator. It, in many cases, it's, uh, from our point of view, it is part of a system for power quality that you should have. Okay. You should have a rosewater with it. Are you seeing um, a decrease or increase or about the same with the renewables being part of the equation with the clients, uh, the dealers working with you and their clients? I think what we are seeing is in California and Florida, parts of Florida where renewables are mandated, obviously it becomes a big deal. Yeah. Um, in the Rocky Mountain areas where renewables work really well because you're at altitude, the temperatures aren't overly hot and sunshine at altitude is pretty damn good. Um, we see people, a lot of self-consumption people who just want it. Uh, I would say it's the hockey stick days of it are over because the uh, rebates and the buybacks are no longer as good. Right. So, but now people, I think, are making more rational decisions about it and are using it either to augment batteries or uh, not necessarily save a lot of money, but be more energy independent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's become a bigger deal. They don't want to be, you know, think about it. If you're living in, in Southern California, I mean, the utility tells you Oh, next week you're going to have an eight-hour blackout. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a drag. Totally. <laughs> you're going to turn off my power for eight hours during the day? What are you crazy? <laughs> no. 
Um, so we get a lot of people who are saying, well, wait a minute, I need to be isolated from that. I yeah. can't, I don't want to tolerate that. Uh, and, and so we, we see that. I, I like what is, I like what is happening with, with renewables now. I was not a big fan of them subsidized because when they were super subsidized and people were looking for return on investment, the best way to get that is the cheapest panel available mm. because it's a math equation. It's nothing else. Here's how my payback works. If I spend this much and I can charge that much, well, that's what my return investment is. If I spend less, my return's greater. Well, now as we see that leveling out, I'm starting to see real improvements in panels which is really what we need is let's see if we can make these, you know, typical cheap solar panels, 14% efficient. Hmm. So you're only capturing 14% of the available energy. That's, that's not a good number. No. But now we're seeing panels that are 22 and 23. The last I looked at very best panels, not that anyone could afford them and they only work in outer space. Um, but even those are only 40 or 45% efficient because okay. it's not simple. Hmm. It's not a simple thing to do. And has battery technology changed since you started as well? It seems like that's the one that's always been evolving as well. I, I, we are rumored to have changes all the time. Think about it. Lithium, which everybody thanks to Elon Musk and Tesla. Now everybody knows about lithium. Yeah. That technology is 25 or 30 years old. It's been around a long time. Uh, but there are some very interesting things on the horizon that are getting to the point now where people are going, well, wait, we think we can manufacture this at a reasonable price. Because one of the issues with a proliferation of batteries is what do you do with the dead ones? Yeah. That's a big deal. And right now you cannot recycle a lithium battery. Hmm. Uh, um, a lead acid battery, on the other hand, about 93 or 94% of a lead acid battery, a dead one can make a new one. The only thing that can't be used is the acid. Mm -hmm. You put that in neutralizing pots. Although I read recently, somebody is now extracting the nitrogen from the acid and using it as fertilizer. Okay. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So you're you're stuck between having a lead acid old technology, which is very heavy, but in a stationary application, not a huge disadvantage. It doesn't cycle as, as much. Or a newer technology that cycles more is light, but how do you get rid of it when it's dead? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? That's a problem. Right. So I think there is some, I just read about a technology called bipolar lead acid, which now can shrink the weight of lead acid batteries by 30% and shrink the volume by 40%, increase the cycle life by an order of magnitude and still have all that recyclability. That looks like it's pretty close. I mean, there are people trying to produce it in large volumes now at a price. So we'll see. Are um, any of these developments something that could reduce the, the retail price of your product? Yes, but batteries are not the major cost factor. What is that? It's finding the highest, getting high quality inverters. Oh, okay. And the problem is the high quality inverters are very low volume in terms of because demand for them is low. As we increase demand and as more of the competitive product decides they need quality inverters, the inverter price will come down. Okay. Just like every other piece of electronics. It, you know, when, you, when you talk about the inverters we use, mission critical facilities buy these inverters. You know, they're not, 
in every uh, device around. So I have hopes, and I think within the next four or five years, you'll start to see significant price reduction without giving up quality. And, and then we'll be able to build bigger ones at the price points we have. You know, because right now, we, we power a 200 amp panel. And, you know, in some of the houses that we do, you know, they're going, well, we'd like you to power four or four or 800 amps. And mm -hmm. you know, right now, you got to buy four of my devices to do 800 amps. And I'm going, you know, even if it, it's not so much the money, it's where we're going to put them. Yeah. So if I can, if I can get two cabinets to do, you know, 400 amps or 800 amps, then, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a different, different deal for people. So other things we're looking at. Sure. Well, as a final question to wrap up, I wanted to just talk a little broader than just the power energy category and ask you if there are any tech trends related or unrelated to what you do that uh, are exciting right now for you. I know you, you go to shows and you see what else is out there in the industry and you hear about the, the trends that are being talked about and written about. Um, anything that kind of strikes your fancy right now? Yeah, what I really like is the is the is the push into wellness. I really like where that's going. I am not sure anybody's got it right yet. Yeah. But I love the idea. When you think about it, we have an aging population. Uh, you know, at, even at my old age, I still think I'm a young guy. Uh, <laughs> but we have people getting older, and we, because we live in a first world, very wealthy nation, we have the luxury of being able to to be concerned with the minutia and nuance of our health. Right. So I think that's going to be huge. You know, there, there are the little things that you hook up to your iPhone that can give you an EKG on the spot that are a hundred bucks. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And we have a company like Delos who is trying to sort of become the THX of wellness, you know, they get <laughs> the Delos stamp. Of course, there may be not, a, there may be people who are too young to know if the THX ever existed, <laughs> what they did. But, you know, I like where that's going. And I think yeah. that, I think ultimately that's going to become a very big field. Um, I, I am keeping an eye out to seeing, see if I can find people who are doing it uh, and doing it right. So that's the one I'm looking at. That is the correct answer. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with you. Um, Joe, I really appreciate your time. I learned so much from you. Thanks for taking, it, taking the time today. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate being on your podcast. Also, thanks to everybody for joining us. Be sure to comment, share, or subscribe to the podcast. And also check out the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.